Good morning again, as we mess with the order of worship considerably this morning. You never know what's going to happen. If you're wondering what this is, you'll have to wait. Let's call her Miriam. She is but a teenager, and she was not yet born when her people, the people of Jerusalem, the people of Judah, were attacked by the Babylonians and taken into exile. She has no memory of the horrors of those things. Babylon is the only life she has ever known, at least until now. And right now, she wishes she could go back to Babylon, though she dare not say that out loud. No, she does not remember when her people were conquered and taken into captivity, but she has heard stories, horrific stories, of unimaginable atrocities the destruction of Jerusalem. Nearly all of the fortified towns in the heartland and of Judah raised to the ground, people dying in battle, survivors left to die of disease and hunger, the execution of their leaders and priests. It was said that those who died by the sword were better off than those who were left to die of starvation. Worst of all, She could not erase from her mind the stories of the things otherwise compassionate mothers were forced to do to their own children. And now she and many others were returning from exile in Babylon, and the Persian king uh, Cyrus had given them permission to return to the land because the Persians had defeated the Babylonians. But things were not as rosy here in the promised land as she had been led to believe. Sometimes her elders, those who remembered these things firsthand, would remind all those who had been born into captivity of the glory of the land before God's anger at their sin had driven them into exile. The decades between then and now, however, have not been kind to Judah or to Jerusalem. There is division between those who had remained in the land and those who were returning after exile. There are power struggles and battles between the two groups. To say nothing of the tensions with others, non-Jews who had settled there from other places in the last 50 to 70 years. And there is so much work to be done before this place can live up to the glorious memories of her elders, if ever. They had thought that once the edict to return to the land had been given, that all their sorrows would be over. But Miriam feels that she and others have merely jumped from the frying pan and into the fire, and she wants to go back to Babylon. The exile to Babylon and the return from exile were pivotal moments in Israel's history. Exile and its metaphorical twin, the Exodus, hundreds of years prior, form a key lens through which we best understand the biblical story, the theology of both the Old and the New Testaments, and the Christmas event itself. From time to time, we'd like to remind you of our Bible app live event. This is, this is what the app looks like. And if you don't yet have it on your phone or tablet, you should go get it. Each week we create a live event that launches on Sunday mornings. You can find that event by clicking more than clicking events you have your location services on, we should pop right up. If not, if you just search for the three letters ECC, we'll pop right up. That live event in the Bible app serves as an important communication tool with announcements and invitations and resources for further study around the sermon 
uh, in the coming week. This week, I've included two videos from our friends over at the Bible Project, a video on the idea of hope in Scripture and one on the concept of exile. Both of these videos speak to themes that we will engage over the next few weeks. The season of Advent, the four weeks leading up to Christmas, remind us of that time when God's people awaited the coming of their Messiah. Advent also reminds us that Christ will come again and that you and I live in the tension between the hope of Christ's return and the sometimes painful realities of of life as we know it. That's where we live. So today we observe Lights of Hope, a service in which we recognize that this season can be very challenging for people grieving a loss of some kind or for whom Christmas, for whatever reason, has very painful memories associated with it. The theme of this first Sunday in Advent is hope. The passage we read earlier testifies to the reality that you and I live in a beautiful but broken world. We are the latest arrivals on a journey that's been going on thousands of years. It began in the Garden of Eden and we will arrive at our destination finally when Christ returns And the new creation comes into existence. A time and a place when God will make all things right and there will be no more mourning or crying or death or pain. For we live in the tension between what is and the hope we believe will one day reign over all. Sometimes we sense this tension in big and overwhelming ways. Sometimes we we sense it in small, everyday ways. But it's always there. In the video on hope, in our Bible app that I mentioned, one of the Hebrew words for hope there is introduced. It is the Hebrew word kavah, to wait or to hope. We find it in Isaiah 40, verse 31. <clears throat> those who hope in the Lord, those who hope in the Lord, kavah, will renew their strength. Kavah is related to another word, kav, which means cord. The imagery, here we go, is of taking a cord and pulling it tightly, the two ends tugging against one another. We might envision the two ends of this cord as the tension between what we now experience and what we will one day experience in the new heavens and the new earth. And when that cord, kav, is pulled tightly enough, it snaps or it's released, there's a sense of relief, kava. This is the tension and the hope for release of which the season of Advent reminds us. In our passage from Isaiah 64, there's a a great deal of this kind of tension. Isaiah 64 is part of a larger psalm of lament that begins in chapter 63, verse 7. A lament, you may remember, is a cry of sorrow and grief amid painful circumstances. It's just honest crying out to God that things are not the way we want or hoped or were told they would be. And while this psalm of lament begins by praising God for all the ways that he has cared for Israel in the past, the many good things he has done for Israel, his goodness, his compassion, eventually, as the psalm unfolds, eventually God's people rebel. God then became their enemy and fought against them. Isaiah 63 verse 10 says, Because of their sin, God became their enemy and fought against them. This is a reference to the exile. 
and to the fact that things are not quite right back in the promised land either. It can seem, even though they're back in the land, it can seem as if God is still fighting against them. So they lament. They cry out to God. They complain. They pray for God's intervention. Chapter 64, verses 1 and 2. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. Here, the lament is about what they have lost. The lament about what they have lost becomes a plea for God to insert himself into their situation and rescue them. It is a prayer for God to show up in a powerful way to demonstrate his presence to Israel's enemies by shaking the mountains and causing the nations to tremble with his fiery presence. In the next verse, there is a recognition that what they ask for is something no other nation has ever seen. The people of God have seen God respond like this, namely in the Exodus when God brought the people out of Israel. Out of uh, people of Israel out of Egypt and back to the promised land in the first place. I mentioned earlier that this section of Isaiah focuses on the realities of the people of Judah who had been taken into exile by King Nebuchadnezzar in 587 BC but were now coming back into the land. And in the minds of God's people, their return to the land was very much understood as a second exodus. A second exodus in which God delivered them from their oppression, once again, as he had done before from Egypt. These kinds of things are what Isaiah has in mind in verse 3 when we read this. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. The, The people of God know that God can do these things in this way because they've seen him do it before. In fact, the God of Israel is the only God who behaves like this. Verses 4, the first part of verse 5. Since ancient times, no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. And then most of the rest of the chapter acknowledges, however, although God has done great things in the past and God is perfectly capable of doing all those things again on their behalf, it appears that God is at best silent, at worst God is completely absent. The people have sinned against God's ways, God's commands, so God has hidden his face from them, verse 7, and has given them over to their sins. The the chapter ends with a question in verse 12. We didn't have this one read. Right toward the end, uh, chapter 64, verse 12. After all this, Lord, will you hold yourself back? Will you keep silent and punish us beyond measure? I mean, wasn't the exile enough? And now we're back in the land and this place is a mess. The Revised Common Lectionary is a three-year cycle of assigned passage to each Sunday of the church year. It is a resource used by many congregations and several denominations. Isaiah 64 is one of those passages for today, the first Sunday in Advent, but there are several other passages as well. And each of them has something to say to us about the tension in which we live. The tension between our lives as they are and our lives as God will one day make them when he takes all things to where he's taking all things. Most of the assigned passages for today speak of the cry that God will intervene. And one of those passages is Psalm 80, in which we read yet another lament 
verses 4 through 7. How long, Lord God Almighty, will your anger smolder against the prayers of your people? You have fed them with the bread of tears. You have made them drink tears by the bowlful. You have made us an object of derision to our neighbors and our enemies mock us. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Another passage for today comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13. And there, Jesus has been teaching on the coming judgment against Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple, which will occur in 70 A.D. But then he shifts his focus and he begins to talk about something else. And if you've been with us so far in our study and our journey through Revelation, this is going to sound very familiar. Jesus says in Mark 13, verses 24 to 27, But in those days following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. This is once again apocalyptic language, cryptic. Highly symbolic, and it causes the cosmos to tremble, to quake. These things are not to be taken literally, but they must be taken seriously. When Christ returns, the impact will be cosmic and universal in scope. During Advent, we remember the longing hundreds of years ago for the Jewish Messiah. And the longing in which we find ourselves today as we await Christ's return and the restoration of all things. Our cries might echo those of the psalmist in Psalm 80. Restore us, God Almighty. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. It's a cry we might have heard on the lips of the Israelites when they were enslaved in Egypt. It's a cry we might have heard from the hearts of those in exile in Babylon hundreds of years later. It's a cry we might have heard when God's people began to return to the promised land but found it severely lacking in goodness and unity and peace. And... It is a prayer not unlike the cry of Jesus from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even Jesus lamented. Even Jesus cried out to God in a time of deep darkness and pain. And so can we. So can we. By the time we get to the New Testament, the people of Jerusalem and Judah have come a long way toward rebuilding what was lost in the events leading up to the exile. But now... (laughs) They are occupied by Rome. It's as if they are in exile in their own land. And to some people during that time, no doubt, it could have felt as if God was still fighting against them. They're still crying out to God to show up. So in all honesty, I am, uh, and people who are around me enough, like people in the office, know this, but I'm not crazy about this idea of God showing up. People say, God showed up. It is is we who need to show up. God is already there. For God is always present. We just need to learn to pay attention. But I do understand where this kind of language comes from. I do understand why people use this phrase sometimes. Because sometimes, honestly, it doesn't seem like God is present, or maybe God isn't present in the way that we want, wish, need God to be present at the time we most need God to be present for us. And so to the way ancient people understood these things, especially given some of the challenges they faced and the degree to which they likely felt abandoned by God, the plea for God to show up, to rend the heavens and come down, makes sense. So part of our Advent preparations this year, we want you to be aware of a couple of resources 
Each Tuesday, we're going to send, uh, in the e-letter, we're going to send a link to a video of a prayer practice for that week uh, during this season, which will, which will, as I said, come out on Tuesdays at noon in our e-letter. And then second, if you already receive our daily scripture emails each Friday in Advent, that email is going to contain a link to an audio file guiding you through a meditation of a scripture passage for that week. If you do not receive our weekly e-letter or the daily scripture email, hey, get with the program. You can do so by following the link in your communication card in your Bible app, clicking the boxes at the bottom, or you can go to the address on your screen, ecclife.net slash ecc subscription. The first Sunday of Advent, we journey toward Christmas and the celebration of the God of the universe coming to us as one of us in the birth of our Savior. And we also inch our way toward the return of Christ. But in the meantime, we may find ourselves in exile. We may find ourselves enslaved or wandering in the wilderness or oppressed in some way. We may find ourselves during this season dealing with loss, pain, suffering, sorrow, or simply the reality that life is not what it used to be for us or not what we hoped it would be. And we want God to show up, to come down, to make himself known to us and to give us hope. Pastor and author Frederick Buechner puts it this way. Quote, and this is in the Bible app live event. For what we need to know, of course, is not just that God exists, not just that beyond the steely brightness of the stars there is a cosmic intelligence of some kind that keeps the whole show going, but that there is a God right here in the thick of our day-by-day lives. It is not objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. I want to read that again. It is not the objective proof of God's existence that we want, but the experience of God's presence. That is the miracle that we are really after, and that is also, I think, the miracle that we really get. Many of us, in this room became brokenhearted this past year or in recent years, whether because of the loss of a loved one, the loss of a meaningful relationship, the loss of a job, the loss of a sense of direction in life. The list of what we lose can be endless. Still others of us are facing physical challenges or a diagnosis of a loved one or ourselves that makes us anxious, understandably anxious about the future. So whatever loss you may be facing on this morning, when we remember and when we celebrate the hope of Advent and our freedom to cry out to God, to move in our lives, this morning we take just a few minutes to acknowledge our grief, our pain, our loss, our sorrow, our uncertainty, our anxiety, our fear, our anger. We do this by inviting you to take part in our Lights of Hope service. So come forward and light a candle in acknowledgement of any burden you are carrying. Come forward and allow others, your brothers and sisters in Christ, to lift you up in prayer today and in the days to come. Come forward and turn your grief into an act of worship of God, trusting that God will meet you where you are with mercy and grace and comfort and with most of all, his presence. I invite you to please stand. Join me in a responsive prayer that we may faithfully honor the burdens we carry during this time. 
the God to whom we bring these burdens. I will offer up several brief prayers, and then I will say, Lord, in your mercy, please respond corporately with, hear our prayer. Let's pray. Sovereign God, you took on flesh and blood in the person of Jesus of Nazareth to proclaim good news to the poor. We lift our own financial difficulties and burdens up to you today, and we lift those we know who are living in financial difficulty. Lord, in your mercy. Father, you anointed Jesus as the promised liberating king that he might proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. We lift those we know who are entrapped in dark and difficult situations, addictions, and habits. Lord, in your mercy. Jesus, you came to give to the grieving a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. We ask that you give us light amid our darkness and hope amid our despair. May we know that the light shines in the darkness and that this darkness will not overcome it. Lord, in your mercy. Holy Spirit, you were given and poured out upon Jesus so that he might bind up broken hearts for healing. We lift our broken hearts to you and we lift those we know whose hearts are devastated by life's losses and broken relationships. Lord, in your mercy. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, listen to the prayers of your people, we pray, and grant to all, especially those who are bereaved and troubled this Christmas season, your promised comfort, strength, and ultimate victory. We place our hope in you today. Lord, in your mercy.